praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords this morning. Let's lift up the creator of the heavens and the earth. Let's give him praise this morning. It's all because of him. Amen. Jesus. 
tebe
praise you again and again Cause all that I have is a hallelujah Hallelujah And I know it's not much Nothing else fit for a king Except for
couple gentlemen. Go lay hands on Justin right now. Most of you don't know he's in severe pain right now. And he needs a touch in his body. But I sense that I didn't know the song was going to be played this morning. I sense there's some other people in here. You need God to touch you in some way. It may not be a physical healing. It may be a mental thing, a, an emotional healing that you need inside right now. And if you're here, we want to pray for you right now. There's an anointing in this place with this song that's been played. And I'm not going to let it pass by. I've been, I've been vacillating back and forth. Should I do it? Should I not do it? Listen, this is what it's about. It's what God wants to do and touch people's lives. It's not about us doing what we want to do. And so if you need someone to pray with you, I'm going to ask you to come right now. I want some of the members of the prayer team to come. Come, come on. If you need prayer, come right now. Come on. Come on. Stand, stand up here close enough that someone can come stand behind you. Look at this. Look at this. See, this is the Lord. This is God. This is the, this is the Holy Spirit saying, "I want to do something. I want to do something. I want to do something." Hallelujah! I want a couple ladies. I see this lady back here on crutches. You want God to touch you? I'll, no. I want a couple people to go lay hands on her right now. The Bible says, "Lay hands on the sick." And in my name, they shall be healed. I want you to go back there right now. I see her. I see the bones strengthening. There's an acceleration in the healing process going on right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus right now. Come on. The rest of you, stretch your hands towards these people up here right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to touch them. Father, let healing take place right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, oh. I need a couple of ushers. Come on. Jesus. Holy Ghost. i 
come worship Him. Worthy is the Lamb of God, hallelujah, glory and praise, power and strength, worthy is the Lamb of God. 
is just a glimpse of what's going on around the throne. Night and day, day and night, without end. The saints who have gone on before are worshiping around the throne. Worthy in praise, glory and praise. Worthy are you, O Lord. Worthy are you, O Lord. Father, thank you for the glimpse of your presence, your heavenly throne room that's in this place this morning. But Father, there's some who have come this morning. They, they, they just came. But God, you've come, and that's what matters. You've, you've enthroned yourself upon the praises of your people, Lord. God, you've declared your name in the sanctuary. Let's worship him. Just another moment or so. Come on, press in. Oh 
the glory you worthy of it all Oh, you're worthy You're worthy of it all From you are all things For from you are all things To you are all things You deserve the glory here the glory of God he's always here but sometimes it, there's a uniqueness in the way he presents himself this morning he's one of those times I see I don't know who this is for today but you've been caught in a whirlwind in the days and weeks that have gone by you've, you've been in the midst and that's literally what I see a whirlwind spinning around you and with it there's literal chaos and and, and there, there seems to have been no way out but this morning I see the Holy Spirit's presence just descend on top of that whirlwind and it completely dissipates. And you're left standing there wondering where it went. God said this day, I have taken care of it. I've dealt with it. I have shown forth the strength of my right arm on your behalf. Give me glory for it. He says, give me glory for it. I don't know who that's for. It may be for more than one. But I literally just saw that. You were like this whirlwind spinning around you. And the glory of God just come down on top of it. And it dissipated. Just like just disappeared. And you're standing there. And the peace of God is enveloping you even now. There are things that take place when we come into the presence of the Lord. And I would say that they would happen even more if we come with expectation. When we come with expectation. 
Many times we come into a service like this and we come hope with hope. And hope is good. Sometimes we come in and we, we don't have hope. We're, we're not even looking. We're not even anticipating anything. We're just like, this is what we do and this is when we do it. And then afterwards we go do our regular thing. I sense the Lord just saying, you need to, you need to set your eyes throughout the week that when you come together you come with the spirit and, 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 and expectation in your heart that it literally any moment God can break out not that God is bound and yet Jesus went to his hometown and the people gathered round about and it says that he could only heal but a few sick he could do no miraculous thing because of the lack of their faith in him. They came looking to see what he might do, but they didn't come with an expectation knowing, knowing. I don't know how to explain this to you. I just feel this is important to take this moment to do this. When I was a young, when I was a teenager and I first came to Christ, my mom drug me and my six younger siblings to a Catherine Kuhlman meeting at the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles, California. We lived up in the valley several hours away. I remember driving in the dark of the morning because she said we had to get there early service the doors didn't even open till like noontime 11 o'clock something like that but we had to be there by the crack of dawn and there was no sitting down there was no waiting you could sit down for a moment that's fine but my mom had been speaking to us about the miracles that take place in her meetings and I, I remember watching her on TV thinking the lady was a little strange but all the way there my mama kept saying, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. We didn't know what it was, but it was going to happen. We literally stood with thousands, literally thousands of others, but my mama got us close enough that the big doors on that auditorium, when they would open up, we were going to have to stand back. And she said, grab each other's hands and head down. Don't, don't, lose, don't lose connection. And we took off down the middle aisle and, and found a place. We'd been watching for hours as ambulances were pulling up. And they were unloading those who were in wheelchairs and gurneys and stuff. I mean, and my mama kept saying, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. We didn't know what it was, but it was going to happen. And... And I want to tell you that when that service began and that huge choir, a hundred and something people began to sing. And this was all new to this teenage boy. And then that lady came out on the stage flowing in this white silk gown that was hemmed in gold. And she talked like she really knew God. I mean, like they were having a conversation on the stage. And then all of a sudden, after it, it, it didn't seem like very long, but 
couple hours had gone by and all of a sudden she starts calling out in the balcony up there your ear just popped up over here this this and people started running forward and and you know me my head's on a swivel man I'm like where's she pointing now I want I wanted to see it and God just put it right in front of me because all during the service there was a person in front of me that had a goiter on the side of their neck the size of a grapefruit and their neck was just bent over like this and it had been that way for I don't know how long. it was the grossest thing I'd ever seen I'm a teenage kid well I know right and she says here it comes now and she just goes like this and all of a sudden people started screaming blind eyes started popping open and and all kinds of stuff but that person in front of me that goiter fell off at my feet and in a matter of two seconds or less I was in the lap of the guy in the row behind me and I was screaming mama that thing fell off and it just shriveled up and that person's neck where that thing had been it was like new flesh just came over it and their neck straightened up and they began to shout and when they started screaming I screamed louder mama what is that she said I told you it was gonna happen take that away from me I was there you said I don't believe that I was there you weren't and I don't know why I feel led to tell you that this morning but God is saying that if we would come whenever we gather whether it's a home meeting or small group or on a Sunday morning or a special night or whatever if we would come with a sense of expectation hey God's coming God's going to be there, not some man or woman or individual. But God's going to show up. And when God shows up, anything is possible. It will change the atmosphere. It will change. It will resonate all the way out into the street and the highways. And God, as people are driving by, I prophesy to you that if we will do that, you will see all of a sudden people will start pulling in going, I don't know why I'm here. Because God is ready to break out ready he's ready to break out he's ready he's ready just waiting are you ready 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 how many of you are ready for God to do that hallelujah father we just give you glory and praise this morning we say let your kingdom come and your will be done Lord on earth in this house of clay in this place for the glory of your name amen 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 hallelujah turn to two or three people and just say I'm ready now it's the way you say you gotta say it like I'm ready I'm ready I'm ready I'm ready I'm ready I'm ready come on 
I mean, turn to two or three people and tell them, tell them right this time. Amen. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Are you glad you're here this morning? Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I'm glad too. I'm glad you're here too. Praise God. Thank you for your missions giving last week. Thank you for those of you who gave and helped us in, in supporting missionaries. That's what God is doing. That's what God, that's, that's the heart of God. I mean, two-thirds of God's name is go. So when he said go into all the world, he was sending us as missionaries. And we, you could be a missionary right where you're at, and, or you can be a missionary by sending someone else who can go where you are not able to go. Amen? So praise God. We're going to get right into the message this morning. At this time, you say, Pastor, you better get into it at this time, right? <laughs> so um, here we go. I want to begin by reading from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning in case somebody wants to know. Uh, I just picked that because that one made it very clear as to what I'm going to be addressing. We started a series several weeks ago uh, talking about the major hot-button issues today. The very first week, we talked about the sexual revolution that's taking place and what is the biblical response to it. Next week, we talked about racism and what is the biblical response to that. Um, third week, I'm trying to remember. Anyway, last week, we talked about social justice versus biblical justice and again it's not my response or some denominational response it's what does the bible say we're to be biblical people and to live and by by this word okay so romans chapter 12 beginning with verse 1 and 2 it says and so dear brothers and sisters so it's obvious he's writing to believers because he's calling them brothers and sisters he said, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. See, a lot of people think worship is just about singing. He's saying living your life uh, in a holy manner according to the word is a true sacrifice. Of, um, of worship to God. And um, verse 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Say that with me. Changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So today's message is about 
a secular worldview versus a biblical worldview. Now, some of you may not be familiar with the word secular, so let me just preface this while we get started. The word secular simply means non-spiritual or temporal, uh, worldly or materialistic, okay? So when someone says they're awful, awful sec, they're, they have a secular attitude, it may, may, they're non-spiritual or materialistic or a worldly attitude, okay? So for the sake of simplicity today, um, I'm going to be using the term worldview when, when it refers to the world's way of viewing things, and I'll be using biblical worldview when regarding what the Bible says to us, okay? So when I say worldview, it's how the world views things. And when I talk about biblical worldview, it's what the Bible says about it, okay? So how do, um, uh, uh, how do Christians address the criticism that's, awfully, that's oftentimes thrown at them in this day and age that they're hateful hate-filled bigots, okay? In, in today's culture, we often hear these accusations about Chris, uh, Christians that they're homophobic, they're hate-filled, they're misogynistic. Um, there's, there's at least four reasons why I believe worldly people uh, throw that against people who profess to be Christian. And I'm not going to go into, I'm just going to cover them real quick, but many Christians have answered questions about such matters in a wrong way, and sometimes in the manner in doing it, they come across as intolerant of other people who hold different views. Remember, we've talked about this in the past. We've talked about that you can speak the truth, but the Bible says speak the truth in love. So if you speak the truth like it's a sledgehammer and you just, you're holier than thou, they're not going to listen to you. So they, they, their perception is all Christians are like that, okay? Another reason is that many Christians don't truly understand that to be a Christian means to have a Christian worldview. In other words, they may use the Bible, they may quote a passage of Scripture, but they don't know how to, to explain what it means to have a Christian worldview, okay? And we're going to come back to that because that's what the message is about. Uh, uh, the other two reasons that I think is that most secularists or secular-minded people wrongly don't think that they have a worldview. They're, they're just thinking, I don't have what you say I have. Um, they think that they believe, what they believe comes from just looking at the evidence. And we're going to relate to that also in a little bit. It's not going to be real deep, but I just want to cover the surface on this. And then the, last, the fourth reason that many Christians are maligned today is that many secularists misinterpret a Christian's disagreement with their view, worldview, as being intolerant of them personally. In other words, they, they take it personal. Okay, um, how, many, have, how many of you can, can be honest that somebody said something to you, they didn't mean it that way, but you took it personal? See, it's real easy to do, right? I mean, so we can't blame them and say they shouldn't do that because we've done it, okay? So, um, so instead, instead of taking it personally, um, they should understand that there's actually a clash of worldviews 
because of the difference foundationally where their viewpoint comes from and where our viewpoint comes from. So for a Christian, the Bible makes it clear that one is either for or against Jesus Christ. You for me or against me? Even all the way in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, I'd rather have you cold or hot. If you're lukewarm, I spit you out. Okay? And so uh, we, we need to understand that, that the Bible makes it clear that we're either for Christ or we're against Christ. Matthew 12 and 30 says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so for the Bible makes it clear that we're either to walk in light or walk in darkness. Mark Matthew 6, 22, 23. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is unclear, your whole body will be full of darkness. Therefore, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Okay? So, those are four reasons why I think that Christians or people who profess to be Christians today are maligned so much by those in society or in the culture we live in. So, but I want to go back and look at that second reason that is there and what does it mean to have a biblical worldview? And again, this is not exhaustive, but I just want to give you an understanding of this, okay? In a recent nationwide survey by the Barner Research Group, um, it's a Christian organization that's been around since like 1984 or something like that. Um, they did a survey of, of Americans all across America, that, of, and, and this is what they found out, that 4% of Americans, 4%, not 94, only 4%, 4 out of 100 Americans had a biblical world view. And you think that's bad. The best part's still to come. <laughs> or I can say the best part. They look, they, they, they've been doing this since 1984, and they watch trends. There's a newsletter they put out and reports they put out, which I've been part of since they started. And they watch trends as they go up and down and change over time. And so in the same study or research that they did, they asked born-again believers in America, and they found that only 9% of people who profess to be born again, in other words, they believe enough of the Bible that they know that they must be born again by the Spirit of God and what it means, only 9% of them had a biblical world view. Nine out of 100 people who profess to be Christians had a, a biblical worldview. That means 91% of the people who call themselves Christians don't have a biblical worldview. So is it any wonder that the people in the world who do not call themselves Christians, they look at the church, they look at Christians and people that they know, and they're looking at their life and they're going, their life's not any different than my life. They, they, believe, they, they believe the same kind of stuff that I believe. And so... Why change? Why, why even listen to the message? And, and in that report, this, I just took a little part of this, and he put in the fact that individuals' worldviews um, are connected with an individual's moral beliefs and actions. And here's what he said. He said, although most people own a Bible 
and know some of its content. Our research found that most Americans have little idea how to integrate core biblical values to form a unified and meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. Now, what we gain from that is these two simple things is that the main reason that Christians do not act like Jesus is because they do not think like Jesus. Now, somebody's going to go, well, there's no way to think like Jesus. Really? Is that biblical? What does the Bible say? Jesus said, learn of me. Learn my ways. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Walk in the ways that I do. Okay? And here's, what, here's the importance of it. Because behavior stems from what we think. Our attitudes, our beliefs, our values, and our opinions. So we're talking about a biblical worldview, a worldview. So let's go back to the beginning. What is a worldview? And this would be a secular-minded worldview. In the simplest form, it's the framework from which we view reality and make sense of life in the world. Okay, that's pretty simple, but I want to go a little deeper on that. And this is what it is. It, it is the set of beliefs about fundamental aspects of reality that ground and influence all one's perceiving, thinking, knowing, and doing. So, for example, a two-year-old believes that they are the center of their world. Right? A secular humanist believes that the material world is all that exists and denies any form of deity. That's what humanism is. A Buddhist believes that they can be liberated from suffering by self-purification. It is their beliefs that dictate their behavior or lifestyle or how they will behave, okay? So whether conscious or subconscious, every person has some type of worldview. Every person does. A personal worldview is a combination of all you believe to be true. How many times have you believed something only to find out later in years it's not a truth? You know? I, I see it on social media every once in a while, and, and it's, it's, it's framed something like this. When was the day you learned... And they'll show some little thing, some little hack or something that they didn't know was there, right? And, and, and a lot of times I go, man, I've known that since it was this high. And there's other times they're going, I never knew that in my life. And, you know, it's, it's just we, we've, we've grown up to believe something. We've been taught something. Our parents taught us something. Our grandparents, schools, whatever. We believe it. And so we form our world belief. And, and, and behavior of our life round about those things that we've grown up to believe. What you believe becomes the driving force behind your every emotion, every decision, and action. It's like when you ask your children, when they've done something wrong, why did you do that? I don't know. They do know. 
they're just not going to tell you. Or they haven't, they haven't figured, in their mind, somewhere at some point, they thought, if I do this, this will be the response, and that's what I want, so that's what I'm going to do. But then when it goes terribly bad, why'd you do that? I don't know. You know, they did know. They had a, something that uh, brought them to that place. How many of you, when you were younger, your friends talked you into doing something you knew was wrong? Anyone? I'll raise my hands. My foot. I'd raise the other one, but I'd fall down. I knew better. But we wanted to be a part of that. We wanted to, we wanted, to, you know, something inside said, if you do this, man, you're cool. You're going to be awesome. I was going to look at you and think, man, you're it, you know. No. And, and what we believe drives our every emotion. If you think the world is against you, guess what? Your attitude is going to stink. It just is. Because everybody's out. For you. And you can take anything good and turn it around. And let's, I heard somebody the other day, they, 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 they won a lottery, okay? I'm not saying go buy lottery tickets, whatever. They won a lottery, a million dollars, and they complained because the government took 40% of it. And I'm thinking, okay. So you end up with $589,000. You spent $5. You're going to complain because they took their part. You got $584,000 that you didn't have before. You know what I mean? You know, they're going to complain about it. They just see the negative in everything, right? The world's out to get me. Well, no. Understand the world's going to get their fair share. I mean, that's just the way it is. So it ultimately affects... Our response to every area of life, from philosophy to, and science, from theology and anthropology, which is the study of human culture, from economics and law and politics and art and social order. Everything we believe comes from our, our worldview, okay? Here's an, an, an example. Suppose you've bought into, how many of you have ever heard, beauty's in the eye of the beholder? Okay, some people would think that's a good thing. Did you know that that's a secular real, relative truth? Because the Bible says that beauty, according to God's word, is defined by purity and creativity. But the world says beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So here, here's the thing. The Bible's absolute truth the world is relative truth. And so if, if beauty is in the eye of the beholder, then any piece of art, no matter how vulgar or abstract, would be considered beautiful if, if, it's be if that's your belief, that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And it would be contrary to what God's word says true beauty is. It seems so small, but it affects everything that we believe. So that's a worldview or a secular worldview. What is a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview is based on the infallible 
word of God. If you do not what infallible means, it means perfect, without error, in any way, shape, or form. From the first to the end, it is perfect. So when you believe that the Bible is entirely true, and that's where in the survey it was revealed that most people who call themselves Christians don't believe that this book is without error. But when you believe that the Bible is entirely true, then you allow it to become the foundation of everything you observe, think, say, and do. So do you have a biblical worldview? I'm going to show you just a few of the questions from the survey that was done of Bible-believing, born-again believers across the United States that only 9% got right. Here's a few of them. Do you believe, do absolute moral truths exist? Absolute means that it, cannot, it does not change in relative to anything else. It's absolute. It, it's, it, it can't change. In other words, the weather doesn't change it. Uh, some scientific advancement doesn't change it. Truth is truth. Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Yes or no? You just keep tallying your own mind. Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life, a life without sin? The majority of Christian people in America today say that Jesus sinned. Yes. So what kind of savior can he be if he sinned like you and me? Come on now. Is God the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it today? These, the, I'm, I'm going to give you eight questions. These were four. Okay, here's the next four. Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real? The majority of Christians in America today do not believe in Satan. Now, what's funny is that they'll ask a question, are angels real? And 90% or more of those same people will say yes. Because when I talk to people and I'll mention Satan or the devil, I don't believe in that. Do you believe in angels? Oh, yeah. You believe in angels? Yes, I believe in angels. Guess who Satan was? An angel. He fell. Oh. Do you believe in Satan? Not sure. Do you believe in angels? Have to think that one over. See, all of a sudden, th their absolute truth got moved. Because they didn't understand something, okay? Does a Christian have a responsibility to share their faith in Christ with other people? The majority of people in America today who call themselves Christians said no. They said it would be intrusive upon other people's belief system to, for, you, for them to share Christ. And therefore, God would not want us to do that. The last question is, is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? The majority of Christians in America do not believe that. See, 
If you answer yes to any of these, that's good. But if you answer no to just one, it means somewhere, somehow, you have something inside of you that has found its belief system in a world view mindset. And what's more important than what you believe or what you say you believe, in other words, you say, oh, I answered yes to all of them. Great. The real question is, does your life show it? Okay? Now, granted, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, the standards of God. But our gut reactions will reflect what we deep down Honest to goodness, believe to be real and true. You can say, I believe this, but when you do this, you, you're, love, you're living a double life, a double standard, okay? So we have a secular worldview, and then we have a biblical worldview. So how does a biblical worldview become so diluted, okay? And, and here's the big problem. Non-biblical worldviews just don't sit around in a book somewhere waiting for someone to pick it up and read it. Non-biblical worldviews bombard us constantly from television, film, music, newspapers, magazines, books, social media, academia. It's, it's constantly being bombarded. Advertisements are telling us what the world believes, what the world teaches, what the world does. You know, I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's almost like, a, have you ever had a dripping faucet that just won't shut off? We had one in my house for about six weeks, and it was the hot water. And, and in the beginning, it, it would drip, 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 and, and, and I'd go push on it, and it would stop, you know. And then eventually, when you'd go to push on it, it would it'd make this horrible sound like something was being killed, you know. And, and, and I would play with it, and I said, well, the O-rings need to be replaced. Well, this faucet didn't have O-rings. I couldn't replace. So the whole faucet had to be replaced. So for six weeks, we put up with this. And it was like, finally, I'd say, I'd tell my wife, I said, don't put a, a, a cup in the sink, because then all you hear is drip, 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 and it's echoing off that. Put, the, put a wash rag or something there so it, it silences it. But you know what? The whole time we knew it was going on, and I went and got the part, but it was almost like three weeks before I could have to find the time to get upside down, crawl underneath that sink, and rip out the old one and put in the new one. And man, when I did, I, I jumped up like, yeah! You know, I turned to my wife, who's the greatest? <laughs> I'm sure she was probably thinking, it took you long enough, you know. But look, when you got two artificial knees, artificial hip, and a few other metal parts in your body, and you have to get in that weird position to get up underneath it. it you know, somebody said, well, why don't you call a plumber? That's too stingy. I was going to do it myself, right? Come on, somebody give me an amen. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, but, we're, but it's, it's like that. But, I mean, every time you turn around, like... It, it, when social media started, it was a pretty good thing. But lately, it's become a... It's like every, every other thing you see is an advertisement, and I have to go hide, 
Don't want to see them anymore. Hide. I don't want to see them anymore. Hide. When, when 90% of the time you're having to go, I don't want to see that anymore, the easiest thing to do is just shut it off. I mean, really. I, you know, you say, I'm, not, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm, I'm still there, but I've blocked so many of those advertisements because all they're doing is, a lot of it is bombarding you with stuff from a world mindset. And because you and I live in a selfish, fallen world, these ideas seductively appeal to the desires of our old fallen nature. Now, I know the Bible says that all things become new in Christ. But we read earlier that we were to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, our bodies, a living sacrifice before God, which is holy and pleasing unto God. The problem with the living sacrifice is it tends to crawl off the altar. You know, when we see that knife coming, God says, I'm going to get this out of your life. We're like, whoa, and we roll off. And then we, with that old nature's there, you know, I mean, we're battling it, you know. David Wilkerson years ago wrote a book about it. And, 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 it, and I remember it was, it was a little tiny pamphlet, but it was, I don't even remember the name of it now, but it was talking about Romans chapter five. And he's talking about the struggle within. It was the, the things that I don't want to do are the things that I do. And the things that I want to do are the things that I don't do. Paul says, oh, what a wretched man am I. It's like the Bible, it's like the, you, you got a tug of war going on inside of you. And because we live in this fallen world, there's still parts of us that are, that are we, we battle with those fallen desires and nature. Come on now, be honest. See, there's some things, when I, got, when I came to Christ, I, didn't, I was going to say, you got saved. I didn't even know that's what it was. I was just a good Catholic altar boy. But when I came to Christ, there were some things I was instantly delivered of. And there were other things that it hung on. And it took a battle to get over those things. And, and there's just, in our lives, there's certain things had deeper holds on our life than other things. So other things let go a lot easier. Other things keep rising up, like wanting to pull us back down. And, and so often what happens we end up incorporating these false worldview mindset into our personal worldview, oftentimes without even knowing it. Let me give you a scriptural example. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 3, it is God's will, say that, it is God's will, it is God's will that you should live holy. The word there means pure. See, we, the idea of holy, we kind of think, you know, halo, that kind of thing. Ain't nobody walking around here with halos, with sounds going, oh, nobody's doing that. He says, it's God's will that you should live to be pure. That, that I understand, okay? That you must, must, shouldn't it be should, must abstain from sexual immorality. Now the word sexual immorality in the, 
and the, is the root word in the English language for pornographic or pornography. And if you break it down even more, it is derived from another word that means to sell off. So properly, as it's used here, means a selling off or surrendering of sexual purity. So it is God's will that you live what? That you be pure. That you must abstain from sexual immorality. Okay? Abstain means, if you look it up, it means be far away from it. It doesn't mean see how close you can get without going over the line. Look, my mama taught me as a kid, you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Because every time you do like this, you try and go a little closer, and eventually you're going to get burned. Okay? So why am I pointing this out? Let's look at verse 4. That each of you, we should live pure and abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you... Each of you must know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. In other words, you should know yourself where your weaknesses are, that you, st that you can learn to live in holiness and honor to God. Listen, somebody's weakness in that area may not be your weakness, and vice versa, okay? And he goes on. He says in verse 5, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God. He says, in other words, you should abstain and live in such a way that is, it's totally different from those who do not know God. Now we're going to skip to verse 7. For God has not called us to live in sin. He has called us to live a holy life. Too many people who call themselves Christians have said, I can't help it. I'm going to sin. But so I'm just going to sin. And then I'll ask God to forgive me. I had a man one time. I just moved to Louisiana. I knew nothing about Cajun culture. I moved to Thibodeau. Okay. My, my second day there, my pastor, where I was on staff, says, I want you to head up a new believers class. When? Tonight. Okay. So I get in there, and I got a whole group of new, new believers, right? And, and, and so we're, we're talking about sin, the sinful nature and everything. And I have a man who's been in the church for a few years. And he goes, he says, nobody can live that way. I said, Nobody? He said, no, it's not possible. He said, I just know I'm going to sin, so I just go ahead and do it. And then uh, at night or at, after a few days or whatever, I ask God to forgive me. And then I just keep doing it. I said, you're going to bust hell wide open. I learned back then I, that I could get in trouble for seeing things like that because I wasn't the pastor. And I'd get reported. But I just thought you needed to tell the truth in love. And I said, he said, well, what do you mean? I said, because you're not forgiven. What do you mean I'm not forgiven? I asked God to forgive me. I said, but he hasn't. He said, what do you mean? I said, because you haven't repented. 
Yes, I did. I asked for God to forgive me. I said, that's not repentance. Repentance is literally a change of thinking that brings about a change of action. I said, what you're doing is remorse. It's like the little kid who got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. You know, his mama told him, don't you get another cookie. I'm going to slap you. A few minutes later, she hears the cookie jar moving. And she comes in there, and he's got his hands in the cookie jar. And she, he said, what did I just tell you? And the little one looks at him and says, I was getting you a cookie. And the mama says, I didn't ask you for a cookie. Then can I have it? Yeah, you're going to get it. But it ain't going to be the cookie. So I told the man that. He got so angry. He went and reported me to the pastor. It was the second day on the job. You know? And he says, what did you do? He said, man, he said, my phone's been ringing up. I said, I just told it like it was. I said, a man had not repented. He said, well, you don't know. I said, I do know. Because what he said and his actions back up what he believes. And he's believed a false belief. And, and uh, so most of the Christians would agree that 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3 and other scriptures command us, not suggest, but command us to avoid sexual immorality. However, oftentimes Christians fall into lust, pornography, premarital, extramarital, uh, sexual sins. Is it just because they're weak when they're being tempted? Is it just because it's readily available like never before? Or did it begin much earlier with a seductive lie from a sexualized society? So why does a biblical worldview matter? Okay. <clears throat> The answer is found in verse 8 of that same passage of Scripture. Anyone who turns away from this teaching does not turn away from man, but from God, the very one who has given us his Holy Spirit. See, if we don't really believe the truth of God and live it out, then our witness or the message that we're giving off will be confusing and misleading. I'll give you another example. I'm not going to go much longer. I'm almost done. Literally. Several years ago, I won't name the individual. I don't believe in doing that kind of thing. But a very well-known minister, if I mentioned his name, probably half of you would know his name, know him. I heard him say this in my presence, okay? So it wasn't third hand, second hand, or whatever. He had decided that, well, the truth was coming out that he had been having an affair with his assistant. So he's going to divorce his wife. He's the pastor of a mega church of several thousand. And um, he's going to divorce his wife and marry this other woman. And so somebody who knew him asked, in the room I was in, asked him, how is your church going to respond to you 
divorcing your wife and marrying this other woman. And this was his response. I'm not making it up. Because I was so disgusted, I walked out of the room. And I, broke, I, I deleted every, everything from that individual. He said, most of my people in my church are living with someone and they're not married to, so they won't care. Talk about the tail wagging the dog. See, many Christians go through life not recognizing, and obviously this minister did by his response because he knew it was wrong, but he said, hey, most of my people are doing it, so they're not going to say anything. But most Christians go through life not recognizing that their personal worldviews have been deeply impacted by the world around them, by the world they grew up in. Many of us have struggled with things in our life because of the things that were dealt to us as we grew up. But you know what I found out? I cannot fall back on the lie that I can't help myself because this is what happened to me as a child. Listen, I was verbally abused, physically abused, and sexually abused growing up. by my father and sexually abused by my priest under the guise of religion. And when God dealt with me, he said, you've got to let that go. Because see, it was, begin it was interfering with my relationship with my heavenly father. Because I was seeing my father on earth like this. And I was seeing my father in the church like this. And that affected my relationship with my father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. And I had to forgive and let go. I, I had to determine I would not be a victim because that is the world mindset. Whomever is set free is free indeed. I can either pretend, pretend that I was set free or I could live free. I don't want to sing songs about freedom and feel like a captive. I don't want to sing songs about freedom and live like a victim. I wanted to know that God who forgave me of greater sins that put his son on the cross. I wanted to know that I could also extend that forgiveness to those who had hurt me. Through the media and other influences, the secularized American view of history, law, politics, science, God, man, affects our thinking more than we realize. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, it becomes a self-fulfilled prophecy. If we allow the world to mold our thinking that 
results in the way we live, then we are taken captive, as Colossians 2 and 8 says, taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So by diligently learning, applying, and trusting God's truths in every area of our lives. Notice three parts there. Learn, because we don't know it. That's not, it's not our nature, our natural nature, to know the nature of God. Jesus said, I've come that you might know the Father. I've come to reveal to you my Father. Everything that I say, everything that I do, I do because my Father's told me to say and do it. He became the outward manifestation of the Father. And, and, and so we have to learn. You don't learn just by sitting on a chair or a pew in a church for an hour or two on once, once every few weeks. You might, you might get something out of it, but you don't learn by that. Because you learn and then requires applying. If all I got is a bunch of facts, but I don't apply it, I haven't learned anything. In fact, one of the things that when I was a young minister, and Christian, in fact, even before I came in the ministry, I was teaching a Sunday school class. One of the, my favorite sayings was, the student, the teacher hasn't taught until the student has learned. So I have to learn, learn it, then how do I apply this? And how it applies to you and you and you and you and you is different. Because we're dealing with different things, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different mindsets, all of those things. And then we, we have to trust God when we walk it out. Because here's what happens. The minute you go, God, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm going to apply. I'm going to start living like this. Here comes the enemy, and he's going to try and trip you up. He's going to bring people along that will try and talk you out of it. He'll try and deceive you out of the truth. You've got to know that you know that you know. And you've got to walk it out. And, and, and then you've got to trust God. Whether it's watching a movie or communicating with your spouse or raising your children or working at the office, we begin to develop a deep, comprehensive faith that will stand against the unrelenting tide of our culture's non-biblical ideas. I'm just going to say this because I, I feel like I need to say this right now. If you are waiting for a man or a woman, spiritual individual, to lay hands and impart faith to you, it, it's not going to happen. In fact, the Bible says the moment that you began to believe that, that, that the impartation of the Spirit of God is already there. It is the Word of God getting inside of you that washes and regenerates and changes your mindset and your thinking. We, we live in a society where we want to click our heels three times and God delivers us. We want microwave spirituality. 30 seconds. And we're going, hurry, 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 hurry. Listen, I believe in the laying on of hands. 
It's biblical. But, but I, I believe there's a lot of people who think that somehow some spiritual person who's pushed through and is walking in the light of God's word, the Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. I have to walk in the light. I have to walk in the light of this word. And, and too often I think we, wanna, we, want, we want it the easy way. There's no easy way. If we embrace more of God's worldview, the biblical worldview, and we begin to live it out in our lives, then we begin to make the right decisions. How many, how much, how much time in your life have you wasted because you made wrong decisions? And when we embrace God's word, and his worldview, then we begin to form the appropriate responses to questions on abortion, same-sex marriage, gender identity, poverty, inequality, and the list goes on and on and on and on. See, the Bible says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that resides within you to those who see something different in you. For them to see something different in you, you have to be different. Woo! Man, that would make a great bumper sticker or a meme, right? <laughs> I'm going to put that on social media. <laughs> it's radical. <laughs> no, it's not. Because really, at the end, it's our decisions and actions that reveal what we really believe. Now let's just set, set the level of playing field here right now. No one, say no one. No one in this place is perfect. No, none of us. Sorry to pop your bubble, but you're not. You said, Pastor, but I'm close. <laughs> you just went down. Pride goeth before a fall. <laughs> it's our decisions and our actions that really unveil and reveal what we truly believe. That's why I go back to the scripture again. We're going to close Romans 12 and 2. Do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God. Say let God. We need to let God. Let's quit fighting God. God's trying to change us. He's trying to change us from the inside out. He doesn't change us from the outside in. He changes from the inside out. Look, I could take a pig, wash him up, put a bow on him, and sprinkle him with perfume. He's still a pig. I ain't talking about your hog, Sam. <laughs> Thanksgiving, he's still a hog. <laughs> Private joke. But God comes on the inside and he starts cleaning in here because it's the, the struggle is in here, from here to here. 
What I think affects my heart. My heart is where I make the decisions. That's why Proverbs says, guard your heart, for out of it flow the very issues of life. Your heart is the control center of, of your mind, your will, and your emotions. He says, let God transform you. That means he's not trying to make a likeness of you. He's trying to transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You should pray daily, multiple times, God, help me to think and act like you would have me to think and act. So let me ask you this question, the closing question. What does your life reveal about what you believe? Nobody's pointing fingers, nobody's condemning. But what does your life reveal about what you believe? Do you hold a biblical worldview that can stand the scrutiny of the world? Years ago, my late mama, she was, um, she went to college late in life after raising seven kids. And she was studying for her master's degree in counseling psychology. And she had to give a certain test to a number of people and then grade them. And we had driven in from Louisiana to their house in uh, Alabama at the time. And she goes, Bob, I need you to take this test for me. It's part of my grade. I said, okay, mom. She says, but it's gonna take you a couple hours. I said, oh, I don't wanna do no two hour test. And I said, okay, I'll do it. She said, now, you need to respond with your first initial response. Don't sit there and try and analyze it and figure out what you think they want to know. Because she said, I don't even know what they want to know. I have a key to do all this. Anyway, you got what I'm saying. So I did the test, finished it in about an hour. She said, are you done? I said, I'm done. Gave it to her. She said, thank you. She got a few other people to do it. And we still happened to be there. She came home like a day or so later and her professor told her that I had cheated on the test. How could I cheat? I didn't even know what kind of test it was. And it, it was just a, it was a test of, in this situation, how would you respond to this? And, or if this was be presented, how, what is your thought about this and whatever, you know? And the professor told her that I must have cheated or that she must have given me the key. And I said, and she wanted me to do it again. I said, why should I do it again? How, what, do you, what do you mean I cheated? How could I cheat? And she said, because studies show that when they begin to grade it, it's on like a chart thing. And it goes from here to here and back across over here. And like there's a line down the middle. Like is, is like this is the proper place to be. And they'll either go to this extreme to this extreme back. And you know, Z, you're, 
That's the way it's supposed to be. And I said, well, how did I do it wrong? She says, yours just goes right down like this, right on that line, through the whole test. And the teacher said, how could he have done that? So she said, how did you do that? I said, I just responded with the first response that you told me to respond with. She goes, but how did you do that? I said, because that's what the Bible says. Well, my teacher says that's not acceptable. I said, well, I ain't doing it again because you're going to get the same response because that's the way you trained me. That's the way you taught me. That's the way I've been brought up. That's what the scripture says. My, she says, that's not normal. Normal is like this. I said, and the Bible says that if you're not grounded in the word, you're tossed to and fro like, like a, on, a, on the waves of the ocean, like a child. He says, the Bible says, grow up and be mature so that you won't be tossed around. I said, if my life is like this, give all the glory to Jesus. Said, well, she said, she won't allow me to submit your test. I said, because she's under conviction. My mama said, how do you know that? I said, because I'm going to pray she is. <laughs> so she went back and told her, he won't take it again. He says, you're going to get the same answers. And besides, he's praying for you that you'll know Jesus. And she got all bent out of shape. I think she went like this on that test, that, you know, after that. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not patting myself on the back because I, I make a lot of mistakes. I have a lot of weaknesses. I know that I do. But I cannot live and allow them to become license to continue living that way. Until we see Jesus, there's some growing up to do in all, every one of us. So right now, we're going to pray and I'm going to ask you, if you profess to be born again by the Spirit of God, even this morning, has the Holy Spirit convicted you of areas of compromise in your life that were once sold out to God, but over some time you've compromised and you've sold off to worldliness and if so this is the moment to ask God to forgive you no one's looking around right now it's just between me and you and the Lord if you say Pastor Bob Holy Spirit showed me at least one area in my life that I need to yield to him and let him have his way would you be honest enough just to slip up your hand? Thank you, thank you, thank you. All over this place, thank you. You can put your hand back down. Thank you. God, you blessed us this morning with your presence. Even in the areas of our worldliness, you still came in, ushered in. And, and Lord, it was so rich and so beautiful because it was in spite of our failings, in spite of, of our shortcomings that you came anyway, because God, you came 
to save sinners. You came to deliver. You came to transform lives. And you're not a grouch about that. You're not a dictator about that. You're a heavenly father who's so good and coaxes us and says, come on, follow me, follow me. God, I believe you're raising up an army of believers who will take a stand, a rightful stand against the culture of the day, the, the world's mindset that is anti-biblical because it is based on an anti-Christ spirit. Let us, instead of complaining about being persecuted for our faith, let us praise God that we are being persecuted for our faith. Let us give thanks, Lord God, that people see enough of Jesus in us that they point us out and say, you were with him. You are with him. You are one of those. And we will gladly say, yes, I am. Would you like to know him too? I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in the lives of individuals in this room. Now, you may be here this morning. There's some people here. I don't know you personally. I don't know where you stand with God. And you might say, I don't have a personal relationship with, with Jesus. I, I, I'm not there. I, I've, I've never had any, a relationship with Christ. But I want to know Jesus like you're talking about. I want to know him. I'm ready to surrender my life and give him control of it. And you want me or someone to pray with you? Would you just raise your hand and we'll come and pray with you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. The Bible says that you must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Bible says you must believe that he was born of a virgin. He lived a life without sin. He was nailed to a cross and died. He was buried in a tomb. And three days later, the Father raised Jesus from the dead. He has ascended to the heavens and sits on the right hand of the Father. He is alive today. Bible says you must believe those things and repent of your sins. It means begin today. Your thinking changes concerning the things that you've been doing that you know are wrong. It's funny how before Christ comes, there's certain things we knew are wrong already. And after he comes, he just confirms that. He says you repent of that. And Christ comes in and forgives all your past sins. All of them. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. He forgives them all. And your life begins fresh and new today. Do you believe that this morning? 
and I'd like to pray with you. Can I come pray with you? Not here to embarrass you. says that in the presence of God right now there is rejoicing for a sinner who has come home can there be rejoicing right now in the house of God I say let there be rejoicing right now in the house of God eternity has changed in the life of an individual and the devil has lost another one glory to God let's stand together and give God praise this morning. Father, we bless you and we praise you. The power of your word, the drawing of your spirit, Lord God, it pierces still to the heart and soul of men and women and children, Lord God. We give you praise and we thank you. We thank you. We praise you, Lord God. For a life that's been changed, transformed. The Bible says from this moment that life's been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the eternal kingdom of his dear son. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, God, I dismiss these folks and I send them out in the name of Jesus. They're, they're going out of here into the mission field in which you're sending them. They're empowered. They have boldness. They have the word. And they have the spirit of Almighty God dwelling within them. Let them go with confidence that your hand is on them and you've gone before them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have an incredible week. Hope to see you Wednesday night.
to deny what the Lord can do.
to deny what the Lord can do. Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? Just let the way make it through. Oh, he's gonna move. Yes, he's gonna move. Can you imagine with all of the faith in the room what the Lord can do? What the Lord can do? It's gonna happen. And just let the way make it through. Oh, he's gonna move. Yes, he's gonna move. Can you imagine? Deny what the Lord can do. 